so exciting to be here today. Section 88 of Doctrine and Covenants. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on here. I'm interested to kind of ask some questions about the relationship between God and light. God's laws, the historical background behind what they're talking about here. It's fantastic. Yeah, good stuff. Uh, so welcome. Before we start with our discussion, should we follow up on what we read? Yeah, let's do it. So we are studying Doctrine and Covenants section 88 today. The Lord is going to teach the importance of laws, that we are going to be bound by them, and that we are going to receive glory according to how we keep his laws. He's also going to encourage the saints to draw near to him and teach us to sanctify ourselves and to keep our minds single to God. He's also going to instruct regarding the importance of teaching diligently and also magnifying our callings. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of different things that we can talk about in this section today, but we're going to focus in on three in particular. What is Christ's relationship to light, the relationship between study and faith, and what can we know about God's law and their importance? So to help us to dive deeper into this section of Doctrine and Covenants, we have invited our wonderful friend, Spencer Fluman. Spencer, thank you so much for being here. Welcome, Spencer. You join us up here. Thanks. Good to be with you. Thank you. So Spencer Fluman is the executive director of the Neil A. Maxwell Institute for Religious Scholarship at Brigham Young University. Um, you're also an associate professor uh, of history at BYU. That's me. Uh, so maybe before we get into it, was there anything in this section that kind of stood out to you as especially meaningful or significant? Or maybe do we need to know something going in this to better understand? Uh, we need to know that this section is not browsable. Okay. <laughs> this section is not for the faint of heart. Right. <laughs> Settle in. It's a yeah. long section. It's a complex section. It unveils the cosmos to us and then ends up with directions for a school. Yeah. <laughs> so the, the, the arc is um, mm. from the metaphysical to the pr really, really practical. Mm -hmm. And through it all, we're invited to see Jesus in all of it. And mm -hmm. so I, I, I'm excited for that. Mm -hmm. I, I'm really appreciative that you're willing to do a six-hour show just <laughs> yeah, right, so that right. we get everything yeah, in. I can't, yeah. it, it's tough to do in, in right. a single sitting or in a single episode, but it, mm -hmm. we can get started at least. Yeah, so give us a little historical context. What's going on? What do we need to know? This is right around Christmas 1832. And in fact, on Christmas mm. Day, Joseph Smith receives a revelation that's a prophecy on war. I mean, mm. talk, about a, talk about weird timing. Yeah. Um, two days later, we get what became the bulk of this revelation. Mm. And when Joseph Smith described this, when he sent it to the saints in Missouri, he's living in Kirtland. He calls it the olive leaf plucked from the tree of paradise, the Lord's message of peace mm -hmm. to us. So we get a really kind of interesting moment here where we get a prophecy on war and kind of the, mm -hmm. the, the commotion of the end times. And then we get the Lord's message of peace two days later. A little bit comes the day after on December 28th. And then some verses at the end came even later, January 3rd, 1833. Mm -hmm. Then a couple of verses at the very end, <laughs> right. right before publication in 1835. So it does, we do have chunks here. They resonated with each other, and so they were placed together for publication. I mean, there's a little discord going along with the, with the brethren. I mean, the apostles and some of the people at that time. So it's also a kind of a call for peace, it seems, among themselves, too. Is, is that right? That's absolutely right. In fact, we have the minutes of the meeting where the revelation is received. And so in the, in the handwriting of one of Joseph Smith's scribes, we have him telling the brethren that to get God's direction, we have to be of one heart and one mind. This is language coming right out of his translation of the Bible. It's in Moses chapter seven. It that's to define Zion. What's Zion gonna be like? It's gonna be a community of one heart and one mind. He's encouraging the brother. We've gotta be of one heart and one mind. So he says, go and pray individually and we're gonna pray vocally together. And after that act of unity, mm -hmm. kind of asking God for light, 
-hmm. the light comes yeah. and, and we have section 88. Mm -hmm. So it, yeah. the, the prophet's pleading for unity in the face of the, 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 the natural problems that come with any human community. Yeah, excellent. Yeah. So maybe we can jump right into it and talk a little bit about uh, Christ's relationship to light. So one of the things I, I, I noticed as I was going through this section is there's a lot of metaphorical language, or maybe some of it's literal, but I mean, you can see all the different ways in which Christ is compared to or equated with light. He is the light of truth. He is in the sun, is the light of the sun, the power that made it. He's the moon, the power that made the moon. He's the light of the stars, light of the earth, shines in darkness, the light in disciples, and he enables disciples to abound. Spencer, I'm wondering, it's really kind of difficult for me to kind of discern what's literal and what's metaphorical, but why is this idea of light an appropriate metaphor for Christ? What's going on here? Uh, I, and I, I would be hesitant to decide that for you, <laughs> which, is, which is metaphorical and what's, uh. and what's literal. But sometimes when we try to sum up the light of Christ for each other, we, we reduce it to conscience, mm -hmm. our, the, a kind of light in each of us. And that's absolutely correct, but for anyone who reads the section, mm -hmm. it's really understating the significance yeah. of the light of Christ. Because here we have the light of Christ equated with power, mm -hmm. with creation, mm -hmm. with governance, yeah. with life itself, mm -hmm. with understanding, with comprehension. In the end, when we've gone through these verses about Christ's light, we end up with Christ's signature on all of creation. One direction that that could take us is, well, God is in everything. Mm -hmm. But as Latter-day Saints, we, 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 we are committed to that idea that God's like us, he's embodied. And so yeah. it's actually the light of Christ, this idea that connects God's presence in the universe everywhere mm -hmm. and is also being embodied. Yeah. The effects of the sun I can feel, doesn't mean the sun's on me or in me mm -hmm. necessarily, but that light, that warmth, it's the means by which I see. Mm -hmm. It's easy to start to see why yeah. Christ is taught to us in this way, both metaphorically Mm -hmm. And literally, yeah. Sometimes we just say, you know, you have the light of Christ, use it, right? <laughs> but it, it's it's so much more than that, and, and we're not talking about it an embodied thing. Sometimes we try to equate it with the Spirit. Well, it, it's not necessarily the Spirit, right? And in Section eighty-eight of Doctrine and Covenants, the Lord is really walking us through this and trying to help us understand. There's so much more to the light of Christ than just simply your conscience or yeah. Jiminy Cricket style. Yeah. So as you see kind of this language of the light of Christ being in our lives, in what way do you think this idea of Christ as light is an appropriate way to talk about him? I feel with Christ and light, I always think of clarity. Christ is able to clarify things in my life at times when I wasn't sure what I wanted to do or what I wanted to be. And he was able to bring that light and that guidance and that direction that I wouldn't have found on my own. Sharon okay. Eubank has a quote, and I, lo I love Sharon Eubank, I love using her, but she has a, a great quote kind of on that same topic. She says the following, I testify that you are beloved. The Lord knows how hard you are trying. You are making progress, keep going. He sees your hidden sacrifices and counts them to your good and the good of those you love. And then she continues, take a few more steps on the covenant path. Even if it's too dark to see very far, the light will be back on. I testify the truth in Jesus' words that they are filled with light. Draw near unto me and I will draw near unto you. Seek me diligently and you shall find me. Ask and you receive, knock and it shall be opened unto you. That comes specifically from this section, section 88, verse 63. And that tie into that light again, knocking and finding and that light will come. This is beautifully comforting. Religious life for all of us is mountains and valleys. It's up yeah. and down. Religious life isn't a graph like this. It's hopefully like this, but there, there, there are these moments where we feel alone. Section 88, if we'll let it, is this kind of transcendent witness that even if we can't see him, he's there. 
hear his voice, come to see with new eyes, let his light illuminate the landscape for us, and we'll see him there. We'll see God everywhere. That's beautiful. It's a a beautiful comfort Mm -hmm. to those of us who at times it doesn't feel as present, it doesn't feel as real. Mm -hmm. It reminds us, he's he's there. Thanks. Thanks. So this was an excellent discussion on Christ's light. Maybe now we can transition and talk a little bit about study and faith. This idea of study and faith, it appears first in, in, um, in verse 118. And as all have not faith, seek ye diligently, teach one another words of wisdom. Yea, seek out of the best books with of wisdom, seek learning even by study and also by faith. So Spencer, maybe you can tell us a little bit about how is this instruction relevant to what was going on at the time? Yeah, and to do it, I want to back up a few verses, actually, mm-hmm. because you're, you're right. That, that verse is kind of a classic one that brings together what we might be tempted to think of two mm-hmm. processes. Yeah. I mm-hmm. learn by faith, and I learn by study, and I'm mm-hmm. told her to do both. Mm-hmm. But in the section, often these two blur together. Mm-hmm. And so we're thinking, oh, well, it, it maybe means study my scriptures. Mm-hmm. But a few verses earlier, starting at verse 78, teach ye diligently, and my grace shall attend you. And, and then the following verse, we're told the kinds of things we're supposed to be studying, and it's virtually everything. Mm-hmm. So for our, all the compartmentalizing that we do in our lives between this is my intellectual life, this is my religious life, this is my social life, Doctrine and Covenants section 88 asks us to, to actually think of them together. And so what we end up with in studying things both in heaven and in earth, under the earth, things which have been, that's my plug for history, right. things which are, things which must shortly come to pass, things of nations, all of these kinds of fields of knowledge. What we we come to see in the end is that God's inviting us to um, have intellectual life and religious life come together in a single process of transformation, Mm -hmm. all with an end goal that we are better able to shape the world for good, Mm -hmm. to both spread the gospel. This is aimed at missionaries. Joseph Smith has a problem in the early church. The problem is we're giving missionaries a copy of the Book of Mormon and their own conviction and we're sending them out. Mm -hmm. Uh, He wanted them to be more well-rounded. He wanted them to have a broader understanding of the world. And so he instituted in response to this revelation, a school where missionaries could be trained. And they're not just trained on scriptural topics, Mm -hmm. it's broader. That's cool. And so the message for us, again, is this kind of broad process of transformation mm-hmm. has an intellectual component, has a religious component there to come together. Mm-hmm. That's how it's, it's supposed to work. And it's not just as missionaries, right? It's Joseph Smith. I mean, he's studying Hebrew. He's studying history. He's studying the sciences. This isn't a study of just of the Old Testament he's doing or the New Testament, but he is trying to be holistic in his, his own right. A few years later, here are the Latter-day Saints. They're, they're barely able to um, have food and shelter. They, in, in Kirtland, they pulled off a temple against all odds, and here they are in Nauvoo, and the audacity, they're dreaming up a university already. Mm-hmm. And so, if, again, if we've got that more narrow, compartmentalized vision, we wouldn't expect a university for the city of Nauvoo. We wouldn't expect a Brigham Young University, but it's demanded in... Mm-hmm. In this very, in the olive leaf revelation here, this message of peace is come into this process of transformation that that involves the whole person. And I think that that's an extremely important component as members of the church. Education and being educated, both spiritually and intellectually, bringing it together as one, is clearly a priority for the Lord and priority for the church. The the amount of money, time, expenses, Mm -hmm. skill, and things of that nature that is put into the education starts perhaps 
here in a sense, but this continues out through the history of the church, even through today. And not even with, just with the end goal of some kind of vocation or career, like exactly. the idea that intellectual formation is part of our spiritual formation, right? We've been talking about kind of study and faith as if applying to not just scripture study, um, but to, to all kinds of uh, realms of knowledge. But we have a, a video here about uh, specifically about scripture study, and maybe we can go to that. My name is Kerry Cottrell. I'm from Garland, Utah. I'm reading the scriptures daily, and I mark insights, but I feel like I could be doing more. What advice can you give to help me increase my scripture study time to make it feel more fulfilling? That's a great question, Carrie. I'm going to start out with one, Carrie, and I appreciate that. And it's back to a scripture that Spencer already mentioned, verse 78. A lot of missionaries, when they come home, struggle with the idea of their scripture study on their mission. It was so effective, and they were teaching people. And I think that that is one of the things that's very helpful when we're studying our scriptures is to study with the intent of helping somebody else along their path. Study with the intent of helping somebody else become more like Christ. And, and that's what section 78 is saying. Teach ye diligently and my grace shall attend you that you may be instructed more perfectly. And then he continues on in what they're going to be instructed in. If we study our scriptures with the intent, not just for the Lord to teach us and guide us and help us in our own spiritual path, but with the intention of helping somebody else, then his grace really will attend us. He will give us enlightenment. He'll teach us truth. As we've talked about, this light will come and he'll be able to help us in that process guiding other people to that light of Christ. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Caroline. Okay, so for me, I, I like to just sit in the morning. I think the morning our mind is always fresh and mm -hmm. the hunger that we feel, our body feels, is the same that I try to focus my scripture study. What's my hunger today? It's amazing how when you open the scriptures and you have that hunger, you have that desire to know more and the Lord blesses you. Mm -hmm. And I love what President Nelson said in the other conference that the Lord loves our efforts. But if we're putting that effort, if we have that desire, that hunger to know more, the Lord will bless and reveals what we need to do for that day, that moment, or that situation. And I love the idea that you know yourself well enough to know when your mind is in a proper state to engage with Scripture effectively. Like, you know that the morning time is the time for you to work. Like, I'm the same way. There's only certain—like, my high intellectual demand things have to be done in the morning, and then I put my lower things, like, you know, footnotes or whatever, uh, later on in the day. Spencer, any thoughts? I know you've spent your life— studying Latter-day Saint history, American religious history, the scriptures. So I, I assume that you are familiar with the narratives, you're familiar with the principles. How do you still get something out of scripture study? When I was younger, I was intimidated by what I didn't know. And it was almost like I was hurrying to catch up because everyone else seemed to know more than I did. Mm -hmm. and, that, and that kind of speed reading has its own benefit, but mm -hmm. um, I've slow, I, I slow down quite mm -hmm. a bit. And I don't run from questions mm -hmm. uh, or things I don't understand. Th those used to be, those used to kind of shut me down. I'd retreat a little bit. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll figure that out someday. If this, if this is true, how can this be true with that being true? That paradox used to frighten me mm -hmm. and it used to be a place where I would retreat. Now it's a place where I engage. That shows me something I don't yet understand or know. Mm -hmm. That's a signal to me of a place where I can pause yeah. and spend some time and productively weigh things over a, over a period of time. And so mm -hmm. th that, that's what I'd offer as, a, as an encouragement to anyone who feels like, I don't understand this text, this, I, there, there's a lot I don't get. Great, mm -hmm. let that be a place for you to slow down and dig in. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes we're trying to finish a chapter. I mean, we're doing section 88 and we're thinking, you know, come follow me, I've got to finish this, this chapter, I mean, this section, I've got to get through it. Well, do you? Do we, or maybe we just need to actually just look at verse 15 for the entire week. 
when we're talking about, you know, the Come Follow Me program, the, the point of this is to really help us to be converted to the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not how well we know the stories or the principles. It's how what effect engaging with the text has on us in terms of our Christ-like character. And then our ability to help other people do exactly. the same thing. Yeah, yeah. Finishing's the goal, then study looks in a, looks like a particular kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. If transformation and right. Christ-likeness mm -hmm is a goal, then it changes the game. In our scripture study, if we're just simply checking it off, mm -hmm. well, I mean, that's good, we're being obedient, but God's laws are not just meant for us to show that we have obeyed, but that we, that we want to obey, that we are turning our agency in line with what God mm -hmm. is having us to do, which is the purpose of his laws, to bring to pass this happiness that we're looking for, this transformation mm -hmm. into becoming like him. So this has been a great discussion on study and faith. Let's dive in a little bit deeper into this section and talk about God's law. I mean, there's a quote by, by Elder Oaks, and we can go to it real quick, but I just, I mean, just to be, state what you said again, I like this idea that commandments are not ends in themselves, but they're means to an end. Yeah. God doesn't just want a, a bunch of people who can do what he says. He wants people who do this as a natural expression of their character and who, in doing this, they become more like him. Uh, Elder Oaks says, the final judgment is not just an evaluation of a sum total of good and evil acts, what we have done is an acknowledgement of the final effect of our acts and thoughts, what we have become. It is not enough for anyone just to go through the motions. The commandments, ordinances, and covenants of the gospel are not a list of deposits required to be made in some heavenly count. The gospel of Jesus Christ is a plan that shows us how to become what our heavenly Father desires us to become. I think it's extremely productive to think about uh, commandments as technologies or tools for transformation, as pointing us towards, as helping us become a certain kind of person. You see God using, even using the word law over and over again, specifically in verse 34. Again, verily I say unto you, that which is governed by law is also preserved by law and perfected and sanctified by the same. And then 35, that which breaketh a law and abideth not by law, but seeketh to become a law unto itself and willeth to abide in sin and altogether abideth in sin cannot be sanctified by law. And then we continue on in verse 36, all kingdoms have a law given. And then 38, and unto every kingdom is given a law, and unto every law there are certain bounds also and conditions. Spencer, can you yeah. kind of guide us through this a little bit? Yeah, absolutely, Barbara. And you know, you at the beginning made a, a, a little move uh, with your language that we all do, laws, God's laws. Yeah, yeah thank you, law. And, yeah. and, and we, that, that's natural, and we get um, conscientious as we are. We want to keep the laws, and when we try to get a hold of the laws, it's a big list and it can be overwhelming and, and, and even defeating. Often in 88, it's singular. Yeah. A law or the law. And in fact, I think section 88 can help us by reminding us again early on, I am the law and the light. The light of Christ is the law by which all things are governed. That's language from the section. And so what the section is asking us to do is to abide again in Christ's light. That if we will follow him as the law, capital L, that we are in that process of change and sanctification that's shot through the entire section. Uh, and so for me, that, that is key, a key contribution of the entire section. Yeah. He is the law. And so that, that verse you read, which is, is so wonderful, if I want to be a law unto myself, if I want to abide outside the light that Christ gives to the universe, I can't be sanctified. There's no path to purification or transformation outside of him and the light he provides. So the whole section in a way is just, again, that invitation. Abide in my law, in my light. 
you know, talking about these different glories and things. I mean, glory and light, all these things are going together, right? So where we want to abide within God who gives that light only available in the celestial kingdom where we are sanctified as he is. If we want to abide in the law of our of our own, right, then we aren't yeah. going to be where, where he is in a sense. We live outside. Just kind of a check on ourselves. We live outside that transformative yeah. process. Yep. So we actually have a, a viewer from Hode who had a question about one of the verses in here regarding some of the things that God asks us to do. Hello. My name is Ashley Nance, and I'm from East Lansing, Michigan. My question comes from section 88. In 69, it says that we need to cast away our idle thoughts and our excess of laughter far from us. Makes sense. Don't mock people. Don't be mean. Don't make light of important things. But then in 121, it says, Therefore cease from all your light speeches from all laughter, from your lustful desires, from your pride and light-mindedness and wicked doings. Again, most of that makes sense. But I know that God is joyful and wants us to be joyful. The plan is the plan of happiness, after all. So why all laughter? That's my question. That's a good question. Any thoughts on, on this? Does God not want us to laugh? Daniel. <laughs> Sorry. Daniel. <laughs> ed, ed, edit that out. What do you think, Crystal? I think he still wants us to have, um, like, fun and be joyful. But I don't think he wants us to, like, laugh at others or be mean. Mm. Excellent. Thanks Great comment. That. Spencer, any, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think context mm. is everything here because these directives appear in a section that's calling for a solemn assembly. Mm -hmm. Note the word. Yeah. <laughs> solemn assembly, a school of the prophets, and a house of the Lord to be built. This is a temple context. Mm -hmm. And so when we look at that directive in context, the Lord is asking for a specific kind of way to be in a specific kind of place and activity. Mm -hmm. And so this is, a, this is a great example. On mm -hmm. the face of it, this verse can stop us in our tracks and think, what kind of God wants to shut down my joy. Mm -hmm. But when we, when we dig a little deeper, he's asking for a certain kind of reverence in a certain kind of space. And it teaches us something about spiritual learning and the house of God mm -hmm. and revelation. So is there a time for laughter? Absolutely. Is there a time where loud laughter doesn't fit the sacred space or the, or, or the learning that's to be had? Absolutely. And that's what that section's trying to help us see is a time and a place. So any d additional uh, comments or insights, questions you have? Yeah, Caroline. I like the 22nd verse, the 22, that says, for he who is not able to abide the law of celestial kingdom cannot abide the celestial glory. Mm -hmm. So after studying all the laws and all the light, so it's now our, our invitation to go and live the law, go mm -hmm. live the light and share the light. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I was, I was struck as Caroline spoke that the promise of Doctrine and Covenant section 88 is that if we're willing to abide the law of a celestial life, that that comes with grace, that comes with light, that comes with help. And in fact, we're defined in the end by what we are willing to receive. It's really beautiful, the end of verse 32 they shall return again to their own place to enjoy that which they were willing to receive because they were not willing to enjoy that which they might have received. In some ways, the gospel is about what gifts from God am I willing to take? Yeah. That's a beautiful way to think about this path 
that we're invited on to. I'm, I'm willing to give you everything. How much can you receive or how much are you willing to receive? Yeah. yeah. It's a tie into section 84, which I love referring to the priesthood and all people who are willing to receive God's priesthood, right? And then the promise is, he that receiveth my father, receiveth my father's kingdom. Therefore, all that my father hath shall be given unto him. For both women and men, we are receiving all that God has. So this has been a, a great discussion uh, on God's law. And thank you so much for your comments and your, your thoughtful insights and, and your questions. Spencer, it really has been a great privilege having you here. We appreciate all that you've helped us to understand. It's a joy to be with you both. Thanks. Yeah, thank you. We'd like to thank you also here in our audience. Thanks for your insights, your testimonies as well. Thank you. Mm -hmm. And to those of you at home, thank you for sharing your comments and questions and insights with us via social media. Uh, we'd love to have you come join us in the studio sometime, but if you can't, we hope you'll tune in next week for Come Follow Up. Come Follow Up is a production of BYU Broadcasting.